Today's scripture reading is Psalm 127. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays alert in vain. In vain you get up early and stay up late, working hard to have enough food. Yes, he gives sleep to the one he loves. Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the sons born in one's youth. Happy is the man who has filled his quiver with them. They will never be put to shame when they speak with their enemies at the city gate. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Pray with me. Uh, Gracious Father, thank you for this opportunity to pause and to reflect as uh, to those who are our fathers. I thank you for the opportunity today to worship corporately as a body, to sing your praises, uh, the one who is a perfect father, the one who fathers us um, past our sin, past our guilt, past our shame, the one who sings over us, the one who doesn't just love us, but who delights in us and who sees us through uh, the lens of his son. Thank you for that justification before you that we receive through Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father God, for the, one who, the ones here who are, are hurting because of imperfect fathers or fathers who have went on to be with the Lord or those who are longing to be dads, but um, to, to physically have children, but who don't. I pray, Father God, that you would meet them um, in this sermon and in this moment with your love and that you would minister as only you could do. As the psalm said, unless the Lord, unless you, Father God, uh, built this sermon, built this moment, those who preach and those who listen, uh, listen and preach in vain. So, Father, would you bless our time? Would you regulate our thoughts and our minds so that we can experience your peace? Would you give us the courage to trust you even in this moment? Would you allow your Holy Spirit to invade the deep parts of our hearts and to find Uh, the areas that you particularly want to speak to us, would you do that, Lord? Lord, I need you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this psalm, Psalm 127, is a psalm that is probably dearest to me, uh, especially compared to to, to other psalms. It's all inspired. It's all good. But the Lord has used this psalm in my life personally in incredible ways. About five years ago, a mentor of mine's, um, I had talked to him about and just asked him, hey, what are some psalms, what are some, I'm sorry, some scriptures that have deeply impacted you? And this was one of them. And he encouraged me to put this psalm to heart and to allow it to wash over me in my ministry. He said that it had deeply impacted him as a father, as a husband, and as a man, and he encouraged me to let it deeply impact me. And I'll be honest, I put it to heart, uh, memorized it, and out of maybe any other psalms that we have, this psalm has ministered to me the most. In fact, there are very few days in which at some point in the day I don't find myself reciting this psalm to myself and asking the Lord to help me. And the power is not in the the words itself. 
The power is in the God who inspired the words and the promises that he has given to us and the principles that he has given to us and this picture that he has given of himself in these Psalms. See, this Psalm is just a picture of what it means to deeply depend on the Lord. This Psalm is an invitation to all of us and specifically today, this is Father's Day. So I want to kind of angle this sermon to fathers as, as, as this sermon is calling us as fathers to, to deeply depend on the Lord, to humbly depend on the Lord, to trust the Lord. But the principles in this Psalm is not just for fathers. The principles in this Psalm is for anyone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, no matter what you are, what you long for, where you are in, the, in this life, there are, are, are principles and, and pictures in this psalm that I believe if you allow it to wash over you and if you take hold to it, can radically transform, not just the big picture of your life, but, but help you to be transformed in the small things of your life in every day. You know, up until this point, I've been very slow to sermonize this text. And this is one of those sermons that was really personal to me. Honestly, it was, was hard to do because of the way in which the Lord has used to my heart. And I pray today um, that you will, will receive this picture that God has put before us. And there's two uh, main uh, uh, principles that I see in this psalm. And really two promises from these principles that I believe that we can rest in. The first is this. The person who is li living with deep dependence... Humble dependence in the Lord is a person who will find meaning, a person who will find true meaning. In your bulletin, the word that we use is fulfillment. But second, the, the person, the father who is resting in deep dependence on the Lord will also find freedom, will also find freedom. Now, we talk about deep dependence. I think the Westminster Confession has a great sentence that I think sums up what I mean by trusting in the Lord or depending in the Lord. It says, the only way to have a quiet mind and good success is to use the means that God has ordained without anxiety and commit the outcome to God. The only way to have a quiet mind and good success is to use the means that God has ordained without anxiety and commit the outcome to God. And I think that's a great summary of what the psalmist here, Solomon, is writing to Israel. He's giving them an invitation to live life before God without debilitating and ongoing anxiety due to rest. And he's saying, listen, to deeply depend on God, to rest in the Lord means to commit your lives to him as well as the outcomes of your life. It means to commit your career to him as well as the outcome to your career. It means to commit your fathering to him as well as the outcome of your fathering. It is an incredible invitation to find true meaning and true rest. And we see this in Psalm 127, this, what is also called a psalm of ascent. The word psalm simply means praises. It's, this would have been a song that Israel would have sung as they made their uh, uh, pilgrimage to Jerusalem yearly for annual festivals. As they went into the city, Psalm 120 and 134 were songs that they memorized by heart. It was their hymns. They would sing on their way up to Jerusalem, those who were pilgrimaging or traveling to Jerusalem. And they would have sung these words, unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays awake in vain. 
This first point is, is about fulfillment unless, except, only if the Lord does it. Only if the Lord does it. Eugene Peterson, in his translation of the Bible, uh, his kind of commentary on it, puts it this way. Psalm 127, if God doesn't build the house, the builders only make shacks. If God doesn't guard the city, the night watchman might as well take a nap. In other words, he's pointing to this vanity. If God is not in it, if we haven't given our work to the Lord, our lives to the Lord is useless. And nobody here wants to spend their lives working and toiling and living. And yo, at the end of your life, look back and be like, let me see what I built. Oh, I built a shack. <laughs> I built a shack. And so this is an invitation to, to give our lives, to give our endeavors to the Lord so that at the end of the, our lives, it's not a shack that we built. And this isn't a call for us to build a house in which the world looks at and says, yo, that's a dope house. Because what God calls uh, a, 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 a success is not what the world calls success. What God calls success is not you having a certain amount in your 401k. What God calls success is not you looking like you've achieved the American dream or whatever that crap is. What God calls success is you living a life that has pleased him. It's you using whatever means he has given you and giving it back to him saying, yo, Lord, I labor, but you build. You're the engineer. You're the architect. You're the one who is divinely in control of my life. And I'm going to do everything I can to bloom where I, uh, where I, I am planted for your glory and for your name's sake. He says, unless you do it. Love this word, vain, vain, vain. Verse 1 we see it twice. Verse two, we see it once. It's not the same exact word that Solomon uses in Ecclesiastes, but it has the same meaning. Throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, we see this theme of vanity and chasing out the things of the world. It's like chasing after the wind. It's in vain. And Solomon picks up on this as he's writing one of the two Psalms that he has, has penned. And he's saying, yo, unless the Lord is the one who is at work in your life, all is vain, all is worthless, Nothing really matters. And this just isn't a theme in Solomon. Isn't this a theme throughout the scriptures? Isn't this a theme of Genesis chapter 11 where uh, men gather together to build the Tower of, of Babel? And they gather to build this incredible structure as a, as a monument to humanism, as a monument to their own strength, as a monument to their own wisdom, as a monument to their own ingenuity, as opposed to building it for the glory of God. And after they built all this, in essence, God said, you have labored in vain. Isn't this what we see in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus warns his disciples on the Sermon of the Mount about building your life on sand? And he says, if you build your life on sand, when the wind comes and the rain comes, that that, 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 that that building, that house will fall. In essence, it will be in vain. Isn't this a picture of Luke chapter 12 when we read about this farmer who has had an incredible harvest and he looks at this harvest that he has had and he concludes that what he needs to do is to build bigger barns? So that he can be happy, eat, drink, and be merry rather than use what God has given him for his glory. And in essence, he farmed, he worked, he received, 
In vain, as Jesus said, you fool, tonight your life is required of you. Fathers, the Lord has given us an invitation to find true meaning and true fulfillment. He has given us a picture here that redirects our eyes back to what matters most. And what matters most is us committing our lives and committing ourselves to him and saying, Lord, I'm going to work for your glory and all that you do, do it for God's glory. But I'm going to trust you with the outcome. And I'm going to pass on to my children what matters most. Listen, the most important things, listen to me, the most important thing you can give to your kids, dad, uh, uh, fathers in here, it, it is not the abundance of possessions. It is not them never going without physical uh, 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 things. It's, it's not a, a, a shiny car when they graduate from high school. It's not a, a paid off education to college. It's not a, a, a private jet. It's not them thinking that you're the greatest dad in the world who never makes mistakes. The greatest gift that you can give your children is a spiritual legacy and a picture before them of you being weak and you finding your identity and your strength in the Lord, of them seeing you say, Lord, unless you build this family, our family lives in vain. Unless you build us up spiritually, all is without. The greatest gift that you can give them is a, a picture of what it means to be dependent upon the Lord, what it means to be weak before the Lord, what it means to not trust in your own righteousness, what it means to repent to God and to them when you fall. Deep dependence. Deep dependence fulfillment is found in two ways. Number one, it is found in you, Father, giving your life to Jesus Christ, believing upon what the scripture said and what the scripture has uh, before us, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is King, and that God loves you and provided a way of salvation through him and him alone. You want to live with deep dependence. It's you coming to the, to, to, the, to the place of saying, I can't save myself. I am deeply loved by God in spite of my sin, in spite of my, my shortcoming. And God has made a way for me to find meaning and fulfillment. And it's not in providing physical things. It's not in my good works. It's in what Christ has provided for me and the peace that God gives me through him. That's what deep dependence is. So my question to you is, have you, Father, have you given your life to Jesus? Are you giving your kids an opportunity to see this picture of, of this God who's created the heavens and the earth and this God who is sovereign over all, this God who is good and this God who loves you? But second, if you want to live a, a life of deep dependence, a life in which God is the architect and not yourself, it's not only giving your life to him for salvation, it's giving your, all of your life to him. It's, it's giving him control and saying, Lord, I, I know that you've, you've not just saved my soul, but Lord, I believe that you are actively working in my life and not just in the big things, but in the small things, in the minute things. It's saying, Lord, build my house, build my family, build my career. Build my marriage, build my relationships, build my friendships. Lord, protect us, guide us in everything. I think the struggle for most of us and all of us is just that. That's the human struggle. That's the Christian struggle is to come to a place where we say, God, I trust you in everything. 
I trust you not just to provide for me and with my, my job, but I trust you with my intellect. I trust you with my beliefs. I trust you with my philosophy. I trust you with my worldview. I trust you with everything and help me, Lord, to trust you with everything. Proverbs 3, 5 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and all your ways. Listen to this, with all your heart and all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Deep dependence is saying, admitting that, Lord, even in the areas of my life that I think I'm strong in, even the areas that I like, well, yo, I'll go to war for because I believe I'm killing it in, is me like saying, you know what? What I think is a strength may be actually a weakness. And so rather than me live and say, I'm killing it, I'm providing in this way, it's me saying, this thing that I think is a strength, I'm actually going to submit on the, on the altar before the Lord and say, I'm going to let you decide whether or not this is a strength. I'm going to let you deconstruct and then put back together for your name's sake and glory. So he says, unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. The second thing we see in this text is not only fulfillment, but freedom. I don't know how many times in the last five years I have found myself in a state of mental, physical, whatever, temporary bondage, unable to rest because I am trying to work something out in my own strength. Listen to me. This portion of this psalm has been a balm to my soul. It has been a reminder to me that when I am trusting in the Lord, that it will be evident because I am able to rest. Not only that, it's a reminder to me that my resting in the Lord is not something that I can just physically do in my own strength, but it's something that is a gift from him and that he wants me to experience regularly. This isn't just a call to rest. This is a call to see that the God who has called me to rest is a God who is able to give me the strength to rest. He is able to give me the desire to rest. He is able to give me the power to rest. And he's calling me to rest. And rest is hard. Y'all just excuse me for a second. Let me talk to, 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 to the father and maybe not even just the, the fathers. Let me talk to, to, to the guys here who are our spiritual fathers to others. Because that's, that's important, if not more important. Like sometimes we find strength in providing for, we feel like we have to be able to fix something or to work something out for our kids or for someone else. But what the Lord is saying is you can rest because I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to provide what you need. And he gives us this invitation. It's an invitation to us all, Christian. It's an invitation to you. It's an invitation to me. And how do we know that God values rest? By looking at his scripture. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, we read these words. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. So God creates the, the world um, and fills the world in six days, calls everything to existence. And then it says on the seventh day, he rests. Now, why did God rest on the seventh day? Was it because he was like tired and exhausted? He's like, yo, I, I kind of like slung the stars into existence. I created the world and I need a nap. 
And he's like, man, it's too hard. It's hard being God sometimes, right? Is that, is that what he was thinking when he rested? No. The reason God rested on a seventh day is to remind his children and humanity of the importance of rest. He modeled rest for us, though he didn't need any rest. Psalm 121 says that he neither sleeps nor slumbers. While we're going to sleep talking about I'm tired, God is in heaven awoke, chilling. I don't know, doing his fingernails or something like that. That's an anthropomorphic picture. It's not a real picture. Right? right? he's He's not worried. But the reason he gave us rest in Genesis chapter uh, two is to remind us of our own uh, inability and, and dependence upon her, us. And so the, his, the children of Israel would have a regular rhythm of resting. While all the other nations worked seven days, God said, nope, not my people. On the seventh day of the week, you all are going to relax. You're going to have family time. And listen, while you're relaxing and having family time, I'm going to gift you with with a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to protect you and I'm going to provide for you so that the nations will look in and say, yo, these people are different. These people actually rest one day of the week and their work is fruitful or even more fruitful than us. So when they look, then people can say, like, the reason we rest is because we don't believe that our success is built on us. We believe that our success is built on us being dependent upon the Lord. We had the joy of going to Israel a few years ago. And uh, Israel, uh, Jerusalem, a lot of the uh, Jewish people that we talked to really weren't uh, that spiritual or religious, right? Uh, many of them um, uh, uh, really didn't, didn't, didn't keep um, uh, their, their religious tradition. But one thing that, that the city did is at sunset on Friday, it shut down. It shut down. It was a ghost town. The only people we saw on the streets were, uh, uh, were Muslims. We, we've, we didn't see many Jewish people. For 24 hours, the city shut down, became ghost town. And then we had a meal with a family. And during this meal, the uh, Jewish rabbi rehearsed the Exodus experience for his children. Rehearsed how God had delivered the Jewish people out of bondage. Rehearsed key verses from the Old Testament, and they sung songs of gratefulness and gratitude to God. And he talked to us about the Sabbath and about how God made us for the Sabbath so that we could be able to rest to work. So that they could be reminded weekly that everything didn't depend upon them and their own strength. That while they labored, God was the one who was building. God was the engineer and the architect. It was one of the most convicting things and experiences and beautiful things that I've ever seen. It was an invitation to me to say, Jamal, you can rest because God is on the throne. Weekly, we have an opportunity to to build into our lives times and moments where we just stop, where we can be still from the Lord to remind us of our creatureliness to remind us of our humanness, but also to remind us that the God that we worship and that we serve is alive and doing well. And as long as he is on the throne, I can enjoy a good night's rest. Is God on the throne? Is he in control? 
Is he faithful? Is he good? Has he made a way? Will he provide? You can sleep at night. I mean, this is what the text is teaching, that, that sleep is God's extravagant, generous gift to all humanity. Even those who hadn't come to faith and trust in him, they don't realize it, but, but a night's rest, the gift of sleep, this daily rhythm of sleep is his common grace to us all. And for Christians, we look at sleep and we say, this is an invitation. This is a daily invitation for me when I lay my body on that bed to just say, Lord, thank you. This is a daily invitation to remind myself that my life is not dependent upon me being perfect or having it all together. This is a daily invitation to remind myself that God has created me and built into me this need to rest and to sleep because he is reminding me that he is in control and that he will provide. Now, is it necessarily sinful for a person to stay up late at night getting work done? Is it necessarily sinful for a person to rise early in the morning to do work? It's not. We see throughout Jesus' ministry, there were days where Jesus was up late and the next day he got up early in the morning. But what we don't see is Jesus getting up early in the morning because of a debilitating, self-induced anxiety, (laughs) right? When he's up early, what is he doing? He's in the desert and he's praying. He's giving his day to the Lord. He's saying, unless the Lord builds this ministry, those who build it labor in vain, unless the Lord helped my disciples to see that, that, that I am the way, the truth, and life, they follow me in vain. And so what God is calling us is not to not have seasons where we're working hard and we're having to grind. What he's calling us to do in those seasons is to realize his goodness and his sufficiency and to sleep and to rest. So often I can find myself going to sleep with something on my mind and I can hear the Lord saying, boy, go to sleep. Take a nap. Yo, let me show you something real quick in the text. All right. This is so exciting. Look at, look at this, this in the text. It just blew my mind. Um, a few months ago, as I, I, I was studying this and looking at some uh, exegetical commentaries in, uh, on this passage, it says, look, in verse 2, in vain you get up early and stay up late, working hard to have enough food. Then it says, yes, he gives sleep to the one he loves. Now, in this, in this passage in the Hebrew, some translations read this. In fact, in some of your Bibles, there's a footnote to say a, a, a better reading um, of this uh, could, could be this. Or yes, he gives such things to his loved ones while they sleep. Did you miss it? Some of y'all missed it. Like, what? <laughs> right? Listen, he's saying, I'm going to read it again. Or, yes, he gives such things to his loved ones while they sleep, which means that God is inviting you to go to sleep, saying that while you sleep, I'm going to give you the answer. While you sleep, I'm going to provide for you. Has anyone else ever been there? Where you are trying to, you are trying to figure it out. Lord, what college should I go to? Lord, 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 uh, how am I going to pay this bill? Lord, how am I going to restore this relationship? Lord, what am I supposed to do at this point in the sermon? That's me like all the time. The Lord's like, take a nap. And then you wake up in the morning and it's like it came to you. 
while you were sleeping. It's like, yo, he just dropped it on you. Like, yo, I'm taking care of it. But that's how he talks to me. He probably don't say yo to you. Maybe it's like, (laughs) it's like he's providing. He's taking care of you. The thing that you was worrying about, all of a sudden the Lord provides in a way that you didn't expect it. That relationship that you were just just pouring over, hoping that reconciliation could happen, that person comes to you and you're like, Lord, the Lord convicted me of this. That child that was, was struggling or, or wayward, that give you a glimpse of hope that, that all has not been forgotten. That boss who's been tapping on your last nerve, uh, uh, all of a sudden is, is going because he's got a new job. God works it out while you're sleeping. It's like, I'm, I'm working it out as you sleep. And this is an invitation for us to rest and to sleep, to rest weekly. Find a a, a large chunk of time where you can just turn off your phone, turn off the media, and be present with the people that God has put in your life, knowing that God is working things out for his glory and your good. And then put a regular practice into play where you are not anxiously staying up and waking up early in the morning trying to make something happen. You labor, but he builds. Let's see the results of this. Verse three through five. Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the sons born in one's youth. Happy is the man who is filled with his quiver with them. They will never be put to shame when they speak with their enemies at the city gate. So culturally speaking, this, the psalmist is acknowledging what was important for, for the Jewish people in that because of their a patriarchal society and their agrarian society, to have many sons was seen as a blessing because those sons could be put to work, <laughs> which provides wealth. And also those sons then can, can protect, be like bodyguards for the home. And so the psalmist here is saying, hey, sons are a gift from the Lord, right? That's culturally speaking. Now, children, all children are definitely a gift from the Lord. Why? Because one, only God can bring life. Two, every child is created in the image of God. Three, if you've ever been around kids, you know that they are a bundle of joy that practices humility, joy, and sheer delight (laughs) in things that we just are like, that's crazy. And so they're a gift because they help us to remain happy and rooted in many ways, right? But what this text is not saying is that in order to be happy, you have to have an abundance of kids. In fact, culturally speaking, (laughs) I think that that him rejoicing in a quiver full of kids was him just acknowledging the cultural things of his day. Children are a blessing, but one does not have to be happy or find fulfillment in children. We find our fulfillment and delight in the Lord. But second, New Testament authors, and I believe that as we read this with a New Testament perspective, we see arrows in us being the community of God. The church, we are shaping each other, shaping each other's kids, sending each other out on mission through the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill God's glory and his plan in the world. But the principle that I wanted to point out is this. When we deeply depend on the Lord, when we trust the Lord with our lives and our outcomes, as we look to Christ and his resurrected power, as we come to him in weakness, 
that what we'll find is true freedom to rest so we're not worrying ourselves to death and constantly walking in debilitating anxiety, self-induced. So I'm not speaking of, of medical anxiety, I'm talking self-induced. Then we have the ability, okay? We have the ability to have fruitful relationships with other people because they're, when they're in front of us, we're able to see them as a gift and we're able to enjoy them. We're able to see, Father, our kids as a gift and rather than checking our phone every hour to see if a new email came in and trying to stay on top of it and please our boss or move up the corporate ladder, we're able to take a break from that and look at our family and live from the inside out and to say, this is how I'm living from the inside out. I'm going to appreciate, I'm going to shepherd, I'm going to receive love from my kids and I'm going to give love to my kids. And as a result of me trusting my, my time and my life to God, my children are going to feel the effect and I'm going to be able to shape them as arrows rather than in my own strength build them up and create an art piece. See, when we do stuff in our own strength or whatever, the best thing we can give the world is an art piece. Something that we look at and that points back to us and the way the things that we were able to do and to provide. But what God wants us to do is not build little art pieces. He wants us to build arrows. Little people that can bring him glory. He wants us to put ourselves in a situation where they can come to him and know him by looking at the way that we depended upon him and use their lives to penetrate a dark and broken world and to provide for people the freedom of abundant life that Jesus has to offer. So the question is today is, will you trust the Lord for your meaning and fulfillment? Will you trust the Lord enough and to the point where you are willing to lay down your, your, your work and rest? Will you trust the Lord to build your friendships, your relationships, your children in a way that brings honor and glory to him? Will you trust him to rest? Psalm 128 reads this. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your homes. Your, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be blessings for the man who fears the Lord, for the man who lives in a deep dependence on the Lord. The blessings is that he will bear fruit. This prosperity is not a mansion. It's not a boat. It's not a, a, a bomb 401k. This blessings is the Lord's presence. This blessing is the Lord's peace. This blessing is a joy that the world can't give and the world can't take away. This blessing is a song. This blessing is emotional health. This is the blessing that the Lord has promised to those who are learning through his spirit to trust in him. And this trust is not something we can make and do in our own strength. This trust is, is what we find when we daily and regularly look to the pattern, power, and pardon of Jesus Christ. 
to the pattern that Jesus lived and showing us what it means to truly live and step with the Father by constantly coming to him and saying, Lord, not my will, but thy will. By crying out to him in weakness saying, Lord, take this cup from me. But if not, I know that you are able to give me sufficient grace by this pardon that he's provided that when we fall and we will fall as fathers, we will fall as human beings. And I'm so glad that, that, that my fathering is not based upon my perfection or my ability, that what God sees as a faithful father is one who is constantly pointing their children to him in weakness. But also by this pardon that through Jesus Christ, when we fall, we can look to the mediator that God has provided for us. The sinless, perfect lamb who defeated death and who empowers us to live with the fruit of the spirit. So that all of our, so that our relationships, not all, but that our relationships are growing to be fruitful. And we do this by depending on him. Jesus says in John 15 and 5, these words. Apart from me, listen to me, apart from me, he says, you can do nothing. That's deep dependence. That's deep dependence. Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. What's the Lord telling you to replace that? Unless the Lord builds my career. Unless the Lord builds my days. Unless the Lord builds the way that I process my past. Unless the Lord builds my friendship. Unless the Lord ministers to my heart filled of bitterness. Unless the Lord takes over my expectations for my own life. Unless the Lord builds my community group. Unless the Lord builds my children. Those who build it, they labor in vain. Every week we remind ourselves that we can trust the Lord to build by taking a meal called communion together. We can bring all of our anxieties, all of our brokenness, all of our hurts, all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our condemnation to the Lord and remind us of this big, beautiful gospel that he has spoken over us. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we could bring that all to him and we can taste this bread and be reminded that when God looks at us, he sees his son's perfection and he delights over us and that he's not an angry father in heaven saying, I wish you would get it together, but rather he's a father that says, and you, my child, I am well pleased. Come to me, all you who labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we take this as a weekly reminder and rhythm to remind ourselves that our salvation, our life is not resting on our own power and strength, but is resting on this free gift that God has given us. And that through Christ, all of life is grace. The pressure is off. There's no reason to perform. There's no reason to find our identity and think foolish things that the world finds their identity. We find our identity in this God who extravagantly lavished his love on us. So rest in that and believe it. Nothing can separate you from his love. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he blessed it and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took a cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you. As often as you eat this bread, 
and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Here at Sojourn, we take a piece of bread, we dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. If you're not a Christian, I'm going to ask you not to partake in this meal, but rather to partake in Christ. To use this picture or parable that I used in this sermon, um, partaking and trusting in Christ um, is probably uh, a good way to understand it is the way you partake in uh, going to sleep at night. Uh, Most of us, when we go to sleep at night, we get into a bed and we rest all of our weight in that bed. And we close our eyes knowing that uh, we are not self-sustaining, but there's a number of of things that's sustaining us and we rest in that as we sleep. Well, trusting in Christ is you laying all your weight in what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross and in his resurrection. And it's you acknowledging that God is sovereignly sustaining you and that he has provided a way for you to have the good life in him. And that one day he is going to return and heaven will be an eternal rest where the S-U-N does not shine because of the love of the S-O-N. And today I want to invite you to have a relationship with Jesus. You don't have to work yourself to God. You don't have to do anything to prove it. All you have to do is to acknowledge I am a sinner. I am needy. God has provided a way for me to be forgiven and for my past, present, and future sins to be washed clean and that he loves me, and that he's telling me to draw near to him so that that love can transform me every day. That's what he's inviting you to. Those of you who are in the front, you come to the front for communion. The back, you go to the back. Gluten-free communion is over to my left. Let's pray.